Welcome to Being Mrs. S, Forever Newlywed, a podcast for the self-assured woman. I'll be talking about my life as a married woman. There will be some tea, plenty of shade, my views about world events, and sometimes me just plain devil's advocate. So, let's get into it. Mooners, how are you doing? Hmm, I think the next few days I'm probably going to do a lot more recording than I've been, you know, maybe more, a few more during the week, but we'll see how it goes. Today I'm going to be talking about the Derek Chauvin trial because we're now in the um, deliberate deliberation phase where the jurors are sequestered and they're going through all the numerous information they got during the entire trial to come out with a decision of whether guilty or not guilty. So that's pretty much what we're waiting for. They have been five hours and about 19 minutes and counting in deliberation. Now everybody's out there, you know, postulating, well, if they take too long, it's not guilty. If they take, if it's too short, it's not guilty. Or if it's too short, it's guilty. If they take too long, it's not, everybody has their idea of where they think this is going to go. And then there are those who are saying, you know, <laughs> if it's not guilty, it's going to be bananas in the U.S., which, you know, come on. We've seen all different trials from before, you know, OJ, this, that, this, that. There's not, I mean, what else do you expect? I don't know, you know, especially this sort of case and the thing that the country has been dealing with for the past how many years that has been highlighted even more that now everybody has video cameras and is recording these things that are happening as they happen. So there's an issue that needs to be solved and this This particular case has brought it into full view for the whole world, not just America. So if you guys, if you have not heard about this, this case, I'm like, where have you been? Uh, If you haven't heard about what happened or haven't seen the video, where have you been? So just to let you know, uh, Derek Chauvin is the ex-police officer. Then he was a police officer who was called to a scene, um, There were four other police officers. One of them was far away watching the car. Three of them were on site with him. Two others were on George Floyd with with Derek Chauvin. Why were they there? Why was George Floyd on the ground, face down, handcuffed to the back and everything? Well, (laughs) my smooners, because he apparently attempted, actually not attempted, he actually paid for an item with a an alleged counterfeit $20 bill. Now, here's why this is very problematic. If you go anywhere and you brandish currency that the person, um, the shop girl, boy, whoever it is that's, or, you know, whoever it is that is working then is accepting the money from you identifies it as as um, counterfeit, 
right there and then they punch a hole in it or they scratch it or they return it to you and they say, I'm sorry, cannot accept this because this is counterfeit. You do not get goods for fake money. Now, an event that somebody accepts um, counterfeit currency from you and gives you your product and you walk out the door, where is the proof that this person actually gave you that money? You know, that, that becomes the problem. I'm like, how can you, how can you prove that that counterfeit money came from me? And I suspect that's why the store had a policy that any of the employees there who accept counterfeit money, that money is going to come out of their paycheck. So this young boy who's, who's just probably very much in pain right now for, because in his mind, he thinks he caused this whole thing, accepted the money from George Floyd um, accepted the money, even though he thought it was, he, it appeared to him that it was counterfeit. Um, and I, I, and I'm guessing the reason he felt that way was because George Floyd was in the, in the shop, the cup foods with another fellow who had actually attempted to purchase something from the store earlier with that counterfeit, with, uh, with a counterfeit, uh, um, I think a $20 bill as well, maybe, but with counterfeit money and this same store clerk recognized it as counterfeit and returned it to him. I was like, sorry, we cannot accept that. And he left, but <laughs> for some reason he, he liked judge Floyd, I guess judge Floyd was friendly. I don't know what it was, but for some reason, even though he looked at the money he accepted the money and he gave George the, I think George Floyd was, uh, went there to purchase cigarettes and he gave him the cigarettes and he left. So now after that happened, I guess it hit him that, okay, if this money is counterfeit, that means $20 comes out of my paycheck. He goes to his manager and he tells the manager that he, he thinks this guy gave him counterfeit money. The manager says, all right, uh, go ask the guy to come back into the store. And here's why I'm leaning to the side that one, maybe the money wasn't counterfeit. Even if it was, um, George Floyd wasn't aware that it was, you don't commit a crime and hang around. (laughs) You, you don't. Um, but he sat there and the boy came out to talk to him and he said, George Floyd just didn't want to be, didn't want to engage in the conversation, wasn't going to come in. Um, he went back into the store, talked to the manager. Manager said, go back out there and call, ask him to come in. He went back out there to chat to them. And this time judge Floyd was in the car with the other guy and a lady was in the back seat. And, um, same thing, George Floyd just was not coming in. Um, and then, they went back into the store and then the manager says, call the cops. And that's when everything went downhill from there. Because what happens when the cops show up on a counterfeit $20 bill? First of all, the fact that the cops could show up and this guy was still there already lets you know that this guy probably doesn't think that what he did was 
he didn't know what he did. Didn't know that he had put may have possibly uh, handed the guy a twenty uh, a, a, a counterfeit twenty dollar bill. But here's what these cops do: they show up, they tap on the window with um, with uh, their uh, torchlight, and uh, before you say Jack Robinson, this guy has pulled out his gun. And he's throwing F-bombs, you know, what the, what the, what the, what the, what the, what the. And here's George Floyd turning around and startled, like, what in the world, what's going on? So he has already, right there, triggered this guy's anxiety. This is this man is like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> Why are you doing this? Put your hand on the steering wheel. Puts his hand on the steering wheel. His foot is out the door. Put your leg back in the car. He puts his leg back in the car. Put your hand behind your head. I mean, which one is it? (laughs) What do you want me to do? Get the hell out of the car. He comes out. Put your hands behind your back. He puts his hand behind the back. Now, granted, even though George Floyd is obeying the command, he's verbalizing his fear. He's He's saying, what did I do? What's going on? He's saying all these things. But. What are these cops doing? Now, here's here's my problem. I think that body cam that now that everybody, all the police officers are, um, you know, supposed to wear at all times and they're supposed to come on. Now, because they're acutely aware that that's there, they have come up with ways to, you know, mask situations or make it look like things are happening that are not happening because number one it's your camera you can position it anyhow you want while you're saying things you know the stop resisting stop resisting and you'd be shaking your body everybody would think somebody is fighting with you meanwhile the person is not fighting because how did you how how was he fighting when you were able to hack off him you know tightly i mean Here's the thing about this whole case that is just like bananas. The amount of footage, you know, when we saw it last year, it was just one person's video that went viral. The time frame that what we saw was shortened. Like we didn't see it from the beginning. We saw it from when this person happened upon the scene and it was already a ridiculous amount of time. Like what in the world are you doing? Get off his neck. Two, We only saw it from the perspective of the one guy on him. We couldn't see because the, 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 uh, the, um, police car was there. So we couldn't see the other two guys who were on this, on, on George Floyd. The one guy was enough, right? All right. So watching this case, you get to see the different angles. You get to see what these people did to this man. Not you know, munches here and there, not little bits and pe- you saw, the, and that, that's why I'm saying that this, this, let me just get into, to the whole thing. And from my perspective, the prosecution, oh man, they put on the you know, you know how you watch law and order, Boston legal, LA law, whatever you want to call it. And you're like, oh my God, like this is, oh, fun to watch. This was real life. This was this, this, this case, the way the prosecution handled this, I was like, this is Stella. They 
started from the beginning. They called the all their witnesses. They called in all their eyewitness, all their eyewitnesses. Everybody who was on the scene, or you know, most of the people who are on the scene and and so, watched with horror. This is direct, not video or something. This is they were standing and they watched this whole thing, and they're like. Oh my God, this is, you know, and you, you can hear their desperation. Get off him, get off. And someone says, you're bummed, you're bummed. You know, you're bummed for doing that. You're bummed. You know, you're seeing the pain. You can see this guy's like, get off him. He's, you know, he's not responsive right now. He's not responsive right now. You know, he's doing all this, check his pulse, check his pulse. They're doing all these things. This Chauvin and the other two cops that nobody else saw because there was the one Chow guy who, police officer who was stopping those bystanders from standards uh from moving any closer from seeing anything they all stayed on this guy the entire time now during this whole thing well, as i told you there's like video upon video upon video now we have the body cam from the other two officers that were there while these ones are shouting check his pulse check his pulse the fire um fighter who was off duty she showed up you know she, you know she's a she's a firefighter police officers they have the same you know basic training of cpr cpr a person who is in distress they know that and she's saying look but you know firefighters have like a maybe an extra level of you know uh EMT, right? There's the EMTs, I guess. And then there's the paramedics and all that. Yeah. Okay. So they have the extra uh, knowledge or extra schooling as far as, you know, being a caretaker and things like that. How, that, nonetheless, police officers, firefighters, they know how to give, you know, CPR. They know how to do chest compressions, all those things. She's over there saying, let me check his pulse. If you're not going to check his pulse, let me check his pulse. That other one is yelling at him. The, the child guy, he's telling the bystanders, this is why you don't do drugs. And I'm like, you know why he's saying that? Because he has that camera on, you know, they pick that up on, on the camera and you think that you're dealing with somebody who is, you know, a mad, a crazed drug fiend or whatever. <laughs> now there is no sugarcoating or anything. George Floyd was addicted to opioids. He had an issue with his, his girlfriend came and testified to that. They both had uh, an addiction to opioids, both of them, because they both had experienced pain from what, you know, I don't know. I think she said she had neck pain. Um, and then George Floyd had a back injury or something like that, or something before. And then they started taking opioids and then they got really addicted to it. These are not the type of drugs that make you go crazy and you run out and you you run into some kind of rampage. These are drugs that sedate you, right? They 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 calm you down, okay. And then the and then if you're if you're experiencing an overdose situation, you go to sleep. Nobody's waking you up there's no way you can there's no way you can be active there's no way you can be responsive when the the officers are asking you questions there's no way you'd be shouting i can't breathe i can't breathe i can't breathe you you're not responding okay 
And for the most part, the quickest way to get you out of that situation is by is by administering Narcom or whatever they call that thing and then sending you straight to the hospital for them to do other stuff to you. If that's the situation. So these police officers are saying, oh, he was on something, you know, superhuman strength. This one now, and this is why they had to restrain him in such a manner. George Floyd was saying he can't breathe. He's claustrophobic. He had just, um, he had, he had um, uh, COVID, which if you, (laughs) this is so upsetting. He was begging for his life. You know, he was saying, don't put me in the back of this car. Let me sit in front. Let me do this. Let me, he, let me sit. Let me stand up. Let me sit on the curb. Let me do all these things. These guys were saying, no, they're not going to do that. They stayed on him for nine minutes and 29 seconds. Six minutes into that sitting on him, he was already dead. So three extra minutes or so was extra, was Jara for nothing. (laughs) They asked him, there was, you know, if they felt he was out of control, they have a process called the Hubble, something that they use, they they hold your legs and your arms together. Um, But the problem the reason they chose not to use that because they didn't want to call a supervisor on the scene and to explain, you know, paperwork. They didn't want to have to write and explain why they had to do it that way. But if they did that, they hobbled him. They had to put him in a recovery um, position, possibly call EMT or whatever, get their their uh, supervisor on the scene. They, they chose not to do that. Instead, they opted to sit on this man obstruct his ability to take in oxygen. His lungs couldn't expand as they were supposed to. They limited the amount of oxygen he could, in, he could, you know, in, in, uh, intake and they killed this man. A man who was begging over and over again. I can't breathe. I can't, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. So basically this is why I wanted to talk about this uh, because C-SPAN put out uh, a post asking, you know, talking about okay, it's deliberation. What do you think? What should their what should their uh, a verdict be? Uh, guilty or not guilty? And I, I'm like, forget, you know, how racially charged this whole thing really is. Because let's call a spade a spade. Forget about that. Let's say there was no such thing as racial tension in this country. Let's just say that that wasn't a thing. And you happened upon this, this trial and you watched it. This prosecution laid it out A to Z, zero to 100. They gave you everything that you needed to know about what happened. Their witnesses were in point. Nobody was trying to lie. Nobody was trying to pander to the, to the jury. Let me tell you what you think you want to hear. They gave you from their perspective, this is what I saw. Because you could tell some of their, you know, already, you know, memory and things like that. It's been almost a year. Some things, when you watch the video, you're like, okay, that's not what 
I heard, or that's not what I had. So nobody was lying. Nobody was like, look, let me tell you what you need to hear because this guy needs to be convicted. No, they told you, this is what I saw. This is what happened when I was there. One for one for one. Those were the eyewitnesses. Then the, um, then the prosecution brought on their expert witnesses, Dr. Tobin, the pulmonologist, man, <laughs> he was the one who shut it all down because he had pictorials, he had videos, he had PowerPoint uh, 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 um, presentations, he had mathematics, he did the experimentation, he said, this is what I've been doing, and then let's not talk about his accolades, this guy is like creme de la creme of pulmonologists, if that's what you're looking for. He came and he explained, he told the jury, you know, touch here, do this, do this. You will see, you will see, you will see. Then he got a cardiologist who said, you are talking about the heart. The heart was a strong heart. Okay. Yes, it was slightly enlarged, but he's a big man. Everybody's not going to have the same thing or whatever. There's a little bit of heart trauma there, but Based, based on all the hearts I've seen that have suffered from similar situations or whatever, this was a strong heart. This is not what killed him. They brought pathologist. Then they brought the person who actually signed the, the death certificate and said this was a homicide. I'm t- I mean, it was so clean. They bought use of force um, experts. They bought the brought the guys, the Chauvin and his cohorts. They Oga, you know. They brought all those people, and everybody said, "What this guy? First of all, this was not what we do in the department." Okay, this was excessive, unnecessary force. Everybody did that. What did the defense do? They sat there, and all they try, all they wanted to do was to prove or to introduce reasonable doubt okay which you know by standards of law it's the prosecution's case they are supposed to make their case the the, the defense is not there to prove anything other than to introduce reasonable doubt the prosecution is supposed to prove that this guy is guilty beyond reasonable doubt but what a prosecution lays out a case that is stellar, that is A+, plus, that is superb. You don't sit on trying to introduce reasonable doubt that, that fails, like that is completely useless. No, what you do is, oh, he brought a pulmonologist. Well, here's my pulmonologist that says what this guy said makes no sense. He brought a cardiologist. Well, here's my cardiologist that says what this guy said makes no sense. Do you know what he did? He brought, (laughs) he brought a retired pathologist, retired since for three years now, who does, continues to do work in, in that field. Not so much so, but not really sure I even understand what he was doing, but here's, here's the kicker. This guy's from South Africa. (laughs) he's a a white South African who is testifying for the defense. He's, he's a retired uh, pathologist coming up with, uh, it was his heart disease that killed him. Plus carbon monoxide from a car 
and from the car exhaust from a car that from a, a hybrid vehicle that wasn't even running and uh and then so so and then the defense the fence when they made their opening um their opening uh, um what do they call it their their opening argument uh was saying it was fentanyl that did it fentanyl from this the pathologist the fentanyl was like not even the top cause of of his supposed reason for for judge floyd dying but he tied it into the restraint and that's a lot that's something a lot of people you know didn't pick up on he he still tied it and he was like he, he's the restraining of him and i'm like that's so you've done it in a, right, in a roundabout way <laughs> but the prosecution that says it was the restraint of him that caused the death because he wasn't receiving proper oxygen then he you know he brought up the carbon monoxide uh what's what's what and people are like there you know the oxygen saturation level was 98% and i'm like george floyd died from asphyxia asphyxia can come in different it's it's a broad name for dying of some sort of suffocation and there are so many different ways that you can die from that from drowning hypoxia be what do they call it from drowning from from being strangled from inhaling you know a poisonous gas and from somebody cutting off your airway your air supply from someone pressing down against you um and and not allowing your your lungs to to fully you know expand and contract or whatever you know so 98% oxygen saturation just proves that there wasn't any carbon monoxide or dioxide in his in his blood so that rules out asphyxia as a result of you know an outside gas causing you know the the death get it together people like listen and understand what's being said to you the point is his neck and his back were pressed down to such a manner that he could not take in any oxygen and that's how he died and according to dr tobin any human being no healthy would have died in such a manner so what do i say to this from the case that i watched the prosecution was excellent they did what they were supposed to do the defense attorney was so focused on one thing that he failed he failed woefully <laughs> and because of that if i were a juror on that case regardless of anything else going on you know this defense attorney did not did not take into consideration into consideration optics your this is not a judge case you know your this is a, a bunch of jurors who who are basic like anybody off the street coming in they've seen this video <laughs> this during this case they showed video upon video upon video and every single one was just worse than the next one the amount of suffering the amount of pain that george floyd went through I don't know how anyone can say no 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 this guy didn't 
do this or whatever. The pulse, one of the police officers checked George Floyd's pulse and said, I don't see a pulse. That was the trigger right there to start chest compressions, nothing. They had him on the ground. The, one, the guy said, should we turn him to the side? That's the recovery position. George, uh, what's his name? Derek Chauvin says, no, we're going to leave him as it is. We've called, we've called EMS or whatever. And that's not his training. You don't keep someone in a prone position the entire time. The prone position is only sufficient for handcuffing a guy who was already handcuffed, by the way. He was handcuffed minutes before he hit the ground. <laughs> so this is this is a very clear-cut case, in my opinion. If I were on the jury, from what I have seen, from what the prosecution presented in comparison to what the defense did, it is a very guilty on all counts case. But I'm not on the jury. I'm going to sit here and continue watching and hearing, <laughs> waiting to see what the jury comes up with. Because, hey, this is America. <laughs> all right. Um, let me know what you think. Leave me a voice note. Remember, it's only one minute. Um, have you guys clicked on the support button? Uh, please do if you like what you're here and think about supporting me <laughs> and uh, leave. I'm going to post this, you know, on all the usual social media sites. Uh, leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. And um, I'll circle back. Cheers. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please click on the support button.